Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody. You might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement. Help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota. For episode 126, the day is November the 3rd, Monday, November the Monday, November the 6th, year of our Lord 2023. Monday, November 6th, year of our Lord 2023. And we're starting the week off well. I really appreciate all the new subscribers. Thank you for being back with us again for another evening. I appreciate all of our uh, content collaborators in terms of guests and platforms and and uh, people who share and, and so on and so forth. If you're out there and you want to rip content from the podcast, feel free. All we ask is that you tag the podcast if you, if you can. Um, but ultimately, it's about the message, right? And we want to get the message out as much as we can. We do have a new group of guys that are working on content, shorts, clips, and things like that. So you'll start to see some clips and shorts pop up again. <clears throat> um, the format for our episodes, I hope that you are starting to uh, get the swing of or get the feel for. Um, We have uh, a color-coded system for our episodes right now. Obviously, the black episodes, the black thumbnails are uh, my uh, individual solo podcast, sort of a deep dive into certain things. Uh, My Yellow ones are family and friend guest episodes. All our guest episodes have that yellow thumbnail background to them. And the red are now our new news channel, uh, news episodes, as well as will double as uh, will will double as the reaction video thumbnails also um, because the reaction videos will be shorter. Uh, They won't be full episodes. So you should be able to tell the difference between those just by the time difference. Um, There will be full episodes that are news, and a lot of times we'll chop down my reactions to certain news uh, clips, news videos, things like that, to to shorter clip videos for people to be able to watch. Um, The gray ones are my deep dives, or if I, like I did a week ago, uh, show a debate or a speech from somebody else, which is a sort of a deep dive in and of itself into that person, uh, like the the great Steve Bannon versus uh, David Frum debate there with the Monk debate uh, family up in Toronto, Canada. Uh, so that was a couple of weeks back. So just a little bit of housekeeping and on the format, and you should be able to you should be able to get the swing of it. I hope so. I hope it makes things easier for you in terms of whenever the YouTube algorithm allows you to see the content, because we all know I'm probably being shadow banned on YouTube. I mean, I had one of my first twenty episodes taken down because I interviewed the great Alex Jones. Not sure how that interview was considered cyberbullying or, you know, uh, online harassment of any sort. If you if you want to, you can still go back on Rumble and, and check out that episode. It was episode 18. I think I may rerun that episode on Rumble uh, in the weeks to come and maybe at the end of this week uh, so people can can watch that again. I thought it was incredible. I wasn't exceptionally happy with the connection, we had some technical difficulties earlier on trying to make sure, you know, trying to get the Skype feed to, to be uh, um, 
glitch free, let's say. So Alex's feed was a little glitchy and some things, but ultimately it was it was good enough. And I think the message came through and what he said was absolutely profound uh, in every sense of the word. He got very emotional and it was a very uh, incredible episode. So we're going to run that again, but we're only going to run it on Rumble because YouTube gave me a warning. They said if I post anything else with Alex Jones, my channel would be uh, removed from YouTube. Which is strange because my guy Vivek Ramaswamy, you know, we did our interview together and then he interviewed Alex Jones and his interview with Alex Jones is still up. I guess the censorship has has come to a place where if you're small enough and nobody will make a big fuss about it, they think that they can they can uh, exert tyrannical, tyrannical policy over you, which shouldn't surprise any of us. That's how they're going to do uh, from here going on from, you know, from now on, <clears throat> which is why it's very, very important that we are loud, that we are. Uh, force multipliers, and that we do make a stink when other people are treated unfairly. It's very important, very important that we don't sit by and watch people be treated unfairly because eventually it it turns on you, shows up at your front door. So that's the bat that that's the uh, the, the the housekeeping for the day. Other than that, you can always visit freepeopleradio.com. Uh, we are still having a few issues with the store. I know everybody's waiting patiently to be able to get some gear, and I'm, I promise you, you're going to absolutely love the gear. The gear is amazing, from Godspeed shirts to um, uh, Cuck Slayer hoodies and, and the whole nine. We got we got notebooks and planners, and we got uh, refrigerator magnets for Free People Radio, and we got gear just for Free People Radio, and I like that gear just as much as the Please Call Me Crazy stuff. Uh, so we we really took our time and made sure that we had we gave you guys options in terms of merchandise and, and apparel that uh, reflect the type of quality that we bring with the podcast and the content and the type of quality we want to bring you with products as well. Um, you know, when you get a piece of clothing, um, it, it should be quality, right? And and one of my goals for for when I get older, for for when I grow up, I'm only 32 now, but but uh, you know, hopefully, still a long life to live. One of my goals, obviously, from a policy standpoint as, a, as an elected official is to bring American manufacturing home. One of the reasons I, I really one of the reasons I want to bring American faction, uh, American manufacturing home is not simply about our essential supply chains like antibiotics and, and uh, uh, steel based products for the military or, or things like this. Essential things, things that are vital. Not only that, but but simple things, you know, uh, quality quality control things that that have begun to to deteriorate in this in this globalized supply chain specifically when it comes to China um, and clothing is one of them I mean you can just tell you order a large in one item you order a large in the same color and you get two completely different products in terms of dimension or you know uh, just quality right and you know that's what happens when you offshore your manufacturing and all of these American companies have been made to do so because the Chinese have have um, have outplayed us in the game of price, the international game of price, we got to do something about that. So you know, hopefully one day I'm be able to I'll be able to open uh, an American manu- America based manufacturing um, factory uh, for for apparel and merchandise and just goods in general. You know, American goods. The Made in America movement has to become a reality. The Made in America movement is now. A matter of national security. If we don't start to bring our manufacturing home, we're going to have huge, huge problems economically. But we leave ourselves exposed in what could potentially be uh, World War Three in the in the days or weeks or months or even years to come. 
And I said it last night on the Alex Jones show. I was fortunate enough to be able to host the Alex Jones show last last night or yesterday afternoon. And <clears throat> I said then, any president, any president that sits in the office, any real leader right now would be calling for an immediate, uh, an immediate um, secure security check on our supply chains. And if need be, a complete overhaul of, of onshoring America's uh, supply chains for its vital, vital uh, and essential goods. That's just, <clears throat> that would just be prudent, right? We don't know. We're going to war. I mean, think about it. Think about going to war with the Russians before you secure your own supply chains, knowing full well that China may in fact be in some type of collaborative effort with Russia to undermine America's power, dominance, hegemony on the world stage, and specifically, more specifically, our dollar, which is kind of happening right out in the open. Imagine what it says about our leaders that they would go into a war with a nuclear superpower or a regional superpower, and, and our supply chains are completely exposed to our enemy. I mean, that this, this level of, of incompetence should be completely rejected by the American people, by the average American citizen. And if you don't reject it, then you have a serious lack of awareness. You have a serious lack of, 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 of uh, basic, fundamental, civic duty. <clears throat> and I love that the great Dan Schultz talked about the need for civic duty, for American civics to be integrated back into our public education. When you look around the world, whether it's in the, the, the Muslim or, or, or Middle Eastern countries, many of them have have ideas, national ideas, cultural ideas that they ingrain in their young people in their formative education. In China, for sure, they're 100% bought into to educating their children a certain way. And even, you know, if need be, re-educating their adults by force. <laughs> Chinese are a whole different, whole different caliber of breed. We have no clue what we're, we're really up against as, as average American citizens. They're teaching their children in China how to, you know, assemble and disassemble firearms. We we don't even think it's appropriate to have uh, a police officer or a security guard who's armed at the school. Horrifying, horrifying. Um, Russia the same way. Russia takes very seriously how it how it educates its young people and the cultural ideas, the the identity ideas, the sense of national pride and national honor that they want to be reflected from the Russian people, from within the Russian people, through their politics, through their, their uh, you know, through their business, through their military or whatever else they, they have going on there in the country. We need that in America. We need uh, a renaissance of sorts, a, a reimagining, a, a refinding of national honor and sacred honor. And I've been saying it from the very beginning. But some of you may be new here. You can't have freedom without self-governance, but you can't have self-governance without sacred honor and national honor. Faith. These things are integral. These things are essential to be able to have self-governance. And ultimately, that's what Free People Radio wants to promote. That's what we're trying to advocate to the audience. That's what we're trying to encourage people to uh, start to think about. What does it mean to be self-governed? Do you understand that America's foundational beliefs and values and ideas were rooted in the idea of self-governance. We were, we were a nation of agrarian farmers. We were supposed to live off of the land. 
the rugged individualist. A man should have everything he needs on his tool belt. Governed by a set of ideas, governed by a set of principles and values. And those values are what should be self-evident. Quite clearly, they've become uh, much more much more blurry by many people's standards. But anyway, um, American civic, civic duty, right? Supply chains, what it means to be made in America, the importance of being made in America, the importance on a daily basis when we're in peace, when we're at peace, when we're not in conflict, but certainly the, the importance when we're on our way to war. And there's a difference between peacetime and wartime. Right now, we are clearly in war times. So we have to think about things from a wartime perspective. And our supply chains are completely exposed to our enemies. <clears throat> and I don't know if it speaks to an incompetence or, or some dark, twisted level of, of, of malice and, and treason. Time will tell. Time will certainly tell. My vote is it's treason. Right now, when I'm looking at it, I think to myself, the only way you could justify exposing yourself to your mortal national enemies the way we've done with China is that we have willingly decided to, to uh, manage the decline of the West and the United States as a concession or a transfer of power to a more China-centric future, which many of them talk about out in the open. So it's not really even a conspiracy theory at that point. The New York Times will tell you something like that as a conspiracy theory, but just go read their white papers. Just go read their literature. Go read their, go read their, uh, you know, their national or international assessments of of markets and supply chains and the trajectory or the trends of the markets and the future uh, technological advancement or whatever else. All of it points towards China. All roads lead to China. And I'm not trying to China hawk. I'm just telling you. I'm just t- telling you all this, you know, Thucydides trap, right? Uh, you know, the, the inexorable rise of China. Something that can't be stopped. Well, we know that that's not true. We know China has its own issues right now. They got their own set of problems. Um, a lot of people think China's a paper tiger. They definitely have a population problem. They got a lot of issues. High up on the list in those issues is the simple fact that from a military and technological standpoint, they seem to be a generation or so behind us. And if they weren't, if they're not, if they're not a generation behind us, I can't really tell you why they wouldn't attack other than they don't, they don't want to. But if they are a generation behind us militarily, technologically, uh, then it's very clear why they haven't attacked us yet, why they haven't taken Taiwan, why they haven't taken South Korea, uh, you know, uh, Japan, and, and the whole host of other Indo-Pacific regimes. Uh, they're, they're, they don't want to go yet. They can't go. They're waiting on something. And it may be artificial intelligence. It may be, uh, you know, uh, drone capability. It may Any number of things that are on the horizon in the fourth industrial revolution that many of us all think are casual and benign. I mean, we still have this kind of weird, sycophantic technolo- tech- technology obsession where we, we, we play and pretend that the advancements of technology will not be weaponized. In what world? What evidence is there that the advancements of technology won't be weaponized? That we're going to advance technology simply to better the climate or simply to better health care or simply to better 
uh, accounting for from the financial purposes or, you know, to to be able to make it easier for everybody to access the Internet or to write a school paper or whatever these chat GPT cucks are, are, are you know, cooking up in their in their delusional minds. No, the advancement of tech, the advancement of technology, the advancement of of uh, of industry, the advancement of of all of these sciences has always been primarily driven by a a militaristic ambition. I mean, greatly. After World War II, DARPA, you know, inventors of the Internet, right? I mean, you know, the, the entire the entire technological advancement after World War II was all an arms race. And it's it's the same way now. And any of these any of these uh, pseudo intellectual egalitarian types that tell you we're just advancing technology for the sole purpose of of humanitarianism. They're full of shit. They know it. You should know it. Everybody behind the scenes, behind the curtain knows it. We're in an arms race. And don't let them tell you that the arm that the arms race is humanitarian and then use that as a pretext to trade secrets with other countries who are our enemies. We're living in dangerous, spooky times. Okay. Now I know I spent a little bit of a time moment there in a tangent. It has nothing to do with the episode today, although in a way it does. Today I want to talk to you about the Roman Empire, the fall of the Roman Empire. And uh, I found an incredible uh, article here from the, the History Channel, and, and I just thought this was a good piece of, of, uh, of information to give you all because we are in a declining empire. And it's declining in many of the same ways that the Roman Empire declined. In fact, it's a, quite uh, almost identical, I, I would say. And uh, I use this, this very easily found uh, article Eight Reasons Why Rome Fell from the History Channel, just to show you that this history isn't hidden, right? So when all of these higher educated pompous assholes try and tell you that their level of education, you know, whether it's Harvard or Yale or West Point or or, uh, SAIS or whatever, whatever school they went to, whatever higher institution of learning they went to, that qualifies them, that expertise qualifies them to be able to lead, to be able to govern, and that you shouldn't be self-governed. Just go look at articles like this as as proof positive that everybody understands this history. So again, we're back at my point I made earlier, which I guess now is very relative to the the topic at hand today, uh, relevant uh, to the topic at hand today. Uh, They all know how the Roman Empire fell. They all know the history. I don't know what story they're telling themselves as to how this isn't the same exact thing we're seeing today that we're living through right now, that their policy, that their legislation is is leading us towards. It's very accessible history. And all of them were trained in this. I mean, this is an intellectual tradition, right? The rise and fall of, of empires is an intellectual tradition for the highest levels of, of our educational system for people who become civic, uh, civil servants, right? Politicians, uh, well, whatever the case may be. I mean, all of them are taught this history. 
And if they aren't taught this history, we have an even bigger problem in our in our education system. But they are taught this history. I, I, I would be you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find me uh, a political science department, uh, a social studies department, an anthropology department, or or any of these other uh, you know sort of social, political, uh, scientific uh, departments that don't have this this Roman history as a central part of their of their curriculums. So they know that that this is how Rome fell. Yet we speed our way towards that demise. And, you know, this is why, and, you know, there's a part of the, the American spirit. There's a part of the American intuition. There's a part of the intuition and spirit of a people anywhere in history that feels danger on the horizon, like collectively, right? There, there is a zeitgeist, is German word in German philosophy, the spirit of the times, right? And there's an intuition toward the spirit of the times in any civilization, in any culture, in any society throughout history. You can't tell me any different. People start to feel that something's not right. And maybe Donald Trump's recent numbers in the polls, uh, you know, uh, the national polls for this presidential cycle uh, election are reflecting people's intuition that something isn't right. And I come to you today with this article to try and bring you more evidence that your intuition is 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 right. Your 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 intuition is spot on. There's something seriously wrong, and it's more egregious than you may actually understand. We are the empire. We are defending an empire. We are. We have adopted a few empires. We're defending those empires. We are the empire, and right now we are losing sense our sense of direction as a culture, as a civilization, the same way Rome did. And I use this History Channel history not to affirm the way that the History Channel lays out history. Uh, because on any, in, on any given day, you may find something from the History Channel that's completely and, uh, you know, completely and utterly untrue, bogus, dishonest, misleading. But... This is spot on. I mean, this is the accepted traditional history of uh, of the fall of the Roman Empire, uh, and and it's easy to find, right? So they're not hiding this from you. This isn't this isn't classified information. This is them telling you this is how the Roman Empire fell. fell. And when Joe Biden gets up to the podium and makes policies or promotes policies the way he does, he's bas- I mean, he's basically just pulling his pants down right there on stage, and and you know taking a piss on the crowd. It's really it's actually mind-blowing to 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 think about to to watch and think about how the american populace is so brainwashed and so distracted with so many other things like doing parkour on 100-story buildings and videotaping it and and you know if worst case scenario falling to a tragic death and then somebody has to come clean your 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 splattered body all up over off the sidewalk you know jerk off activity. We have so much time to jerk off that our highest office in the in the nation can come out before the American people and tell them that they're destroying the country and tell them they're destroying their citizenship and tell them they're undermining their freedoms and the core values and beliefs and, and foundational ideas of the nation of, of which they are citizen. And still, people vote for them. I just, I've... For the life of me, anybody out there who voted Democrat, 
who hears the sound of my voice, or maybe you haven't voted before, or maybe you've never been red-pilled, or maybe you have been caught up in the mainstream media. I get it. Trust me. I understand. I, I grew up in a, in a similar sort of uh, propaganda. I get it. But after hearing an, a, a, a podcast like this and understanding the, the, the fall of the Roman Empire and understanding that you're an American citizen of a similar empire, go back and listen to your leaders words, listen to your leaders' diatribes, listen to your leaders' policy prescriptions, and understand that not only are they trying to screw you over, they're screwing you over and telling you you should like it, telling you you should accept it, you should continue to vote for us. Quite astounding, to say the least. Eight reasons why Rome fell. Per the History Channel, this is Evan Andrews. I don't know who Evan Andrews is. The history is just, I mean, it's accepted history. Number one reason, number one reason the Roman Empire failed per the conventional wisdom of historical uh, record. Invasions by barbarian tribes. Imagine that. Number one way the Roman Empire failed, number one reason the Roman Empire failed is invasions by barbarian tribes. And I'm just going to read some of this excerpt for you. The most straightforward theory for Western Rome's collapse pins the fall on a string of military losses sustained against outside forces. Rome had tangled with Germanic tribes for centuries, but by the 300s, barbarian groups like the Goths had encroached beyond the empire's borders. Borders. The Romans weathered a Germanic uprising in the late 4th century, but in 410, the Visigoth king Alaric successfully sacked the city of Rome. The empire spent the next several decades under constant threat before the Eternal City was raided again in 455, this time by the Vandals. Finally, in 476, the Germanic leader, uh, I think the name is Odoacer, Odoacer, or yeah, Odoacer, staged a revolt and deposed Emperor Romulus from then on, no Roman Empire would ever again rule from a post in Italy, leading many to cite 476 as the year the Western Empire suffered its death blow. We're certainly under invasion from what very well could be barbaric tribes right now. I mean, you know, time will tell. But I'd say, nonetheless, we should have never allowed this because we don't know. The same, we, we can't vet it. We, we, we can't be sure of these people's identity or their intentions. A safe policy when you're at war with a number of nations out there in the world um, on an ideological basis, on a geographical basis, on an economic basis, on a political basis, a geopolitical, whatever it is, when you're at war, a secure border is just a prudent policy approach. Very basic, rudimentary. I mean, almost so easy a fifth grader could do it. Hey, we got to have somebody watching the door. Control traffic. Control traffic, it's basic. When you grow up in the neighborhood, and when you grow up in the neighborhood, everybody understands that there has to be some type of control of traffic in and out of the house. If people just come and go in and out of the house as they please, number one, a lot of shit's going to get stolen or come up missing. That's obvious. Uh, number two, you're putting yourself in, 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 at risk and in, in danger. 
You're putting yourself in danger for a number of things. Number one, somebody could just come in and, and in a burst of violence do you significant bodily harm. But also, you're, you, you know, you put yourself at risk of being set up, of being framed, of being staged, and uh, of, of, yeah, of being, you know, framed, of, of having, a, you know, something cooked up against you. Because how do you know? Hey, I come into your house, people coming in and out all day. I come in, I, you know, I drop a little bag of cocaine under the, under the table. I walk out, and next, next thing you know, the FBI raids your house, and, and now all of a sudden you're brought up on charges of possession, illegal drugs, illicit, illicit drugs. Happens, all, happens often. Control traffic. You got to control traffic. I like to think, take things back to, the, to the, the good old neighborhood because, hey, I, I, see the, I, I don't see much difference. I mean, when you get back down to the basics, it's all the same set of ideas. Connecting the global to the local. Number two reason why the empire fell, the Roman Empire fell, per the conventional wisdom. Economic troubles and over-reliance on slave labor. I mean, this is just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, right down the line. Economic troubles and over-reliance on slave labor. Even as Rome was under attack from outside forces, it was also crumbling from within thanks to a severe financial crisis. Constant wars and overspending had significantly lightened imperial coffers, and oppressive taxation and inflation had widened the gap between rich and poor. In the hope of avoiding the tax man, many members of the wealthy classes had even fled to the countryside and set up independent fiefdoms. Hey, you overtax people, uh, you, you, you get inflation, uh, you overspend, you find yourself in a financial crisis, uh, you get a big gap between the rich and the poor, and you start to crumble from within. Okay, Number three. The rise of the Eastern Empire. Oh, this is a great one. The fate of Western Rome was partially sealed in the late 3rd century when Emperor uh, Diocletian divided the empire into two halves. The Western Empire seated in the city of Milan and the Eastern Empire in Byzantium, later known as Constantinople. The division made the empire more easily governable in the short term, but over time the two halves drifted apart, east and west failed to adequately work together to combat outside threats, and the two often squabbled over resources and military aid. <laughs> it doesn't get any better than this. It's like, it's like I'm, I'm reading a past that's happening all over again verbatim. I mean, it's like this is exactly what's going on now. Now, we don't have an Eastern and Western empire, so to speak. We haven't split the United States up into two halves. But you could look at the, the Democrat and Republican sort of political theater as a, a, a split, a bifurcation in, in, uh, in, in a time when America's resources and, and unity is more, more um, important than, than ever before. Uh, so we do have a sort of Western-Eastern split in our country. It just happens to be all concentrated right there in D.C., into partisan par, poly, uh, partisan politics, I'm sorry. Number four, 
overexpansion and military overspending. Number four reason why the Roman Empire fell, overexpansion and military overspending. At its height, the Roman Empire stretched from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Euphrates River in the Middle East. But its grandeur may have also been its downfall. With such a vast territory to govern, the empire faced an administrative and logistical nightmare. Even with their excellent road systems, the Romans were unable to communicate quickly or effectively enough to manage their holdings. Overexpansion and military overspending. Our problem here is not only is the federal government too big, you know, you can make an argument. You can make an argument that the territory of the United States of America itself is too big. Now, we we had the strategic advantage and benefit of being the dominant military power on the world stage. And technology certainly leapfrogged us well ahead of many other nations, which made, which made it possible to defend ourselves uh, more easily given our geographical advantages as well. The two together gave us a lot of, a lot of footing uh, and, and uh, safeguard against uh, foreign invaders. You got two oceans there, big old, tough to get across. I mean, sure, the Russians could try and come through the Bering Strait in Alaska if they wanted to. Hey, if they want to fight that, that war up there on that front, good luck to them. You know, you're kind of you're funneling yourself into the hawk gates right there. If that's the only way you're going to come across, it's somewhat easy to deal with that issue. And I would, I, would, I would venture to guess that our military has significant, significant uh, military military uh, equipment and and uh, defensive military firepower right there in Alaska. And if we don't, that'd be another thing we probably should get ramped up, just in case. Never know when the Russians will go that way. However, Siberia and this entire northeastern Russia, uh, you know, the entire northeastern Russia is is mostly ice and mountains and you know a lot of the population a lot of the forces of Russia are concentrated in in the western side of Russia although there's a lot of you know natural resources up in that area that that they mine and that they utilize as a as a nation but um not a lot up there in the northeastern corridor of of uh, Russia but the, again the problem is that you, you could make an argument that the United States itself is a territory almost too big for the federal government to properly oversee. Um, this globalism project that we've tried is in complete contradiction to the history of, of Rome's fall. I mean, it's just completely, completely backwards. It's 100% in contradiction to the conventional academic wisdom about why the Roman Empire fell. Not only are we going to, you know, really bloat the federal government here in America, in the continental United States, but now it's going to become a sort of um, extension, uh, or you could say the cornerstone of a much broader political am- ambition of, uh, of of globalism, of globalization, of a one-world economy and a one-world government. Not tenable. Not tenable whatsoever. You can't do it. Overexpansion and Military overspending was the fourth reason why the Roman Empire fell. Number five, government corruption and political instability. Oh, I mean, no shortage of that here in America. 
If Rome's sheer size made it difficult to govern, ineffective and inconsistent leadership only served to magnify the problem. Being the Roman Empire had always, no, being the Roman emperor had always been a particularly dangerous job. But during the tumultuous second and third centuries, it nearly became a death sentence. Civil war thrust the empire into chaos and more than 20 men took the throne in the span of only 75 years, usually after the murder of their predecessor. So eventually, you know, Rome got so bad, there was such, there was such widespread government corruption and political instability, they just start killing everybody who took the throne. This guy take the throne, they kill him. This guy take the throne, they kill him. You know, it became so factional. There was no sense of national honor. There was no sense of, of, of unity. There was no sense of, of, of sacred honor. It was kill or be killed, and it was try, you know, it was steal everything that's not tied down. And the throne itself, the, the presidency itself, you could say, became a mechanism of the ambition to steal and corrupt and siphon off whatever they could in Rome's decline. Not much different than we have now. Oh, Sleepy Joe, taking money from the CCP, political corruption. Here we go. Number six. Sixth reason why the Roman Empire failed. The arrival of the Huns and the migration of the, bar the barbarian tribes. The arrival of the Huns and the migration of the barbarian tribes. The barbarian attacks on Rome partially stemmed from a mass migration caused by the Huns' invasion of Europe in the late 4th century. When these Eurasian warriors rampaged through northern Europe, they drove many Germanic tribes to the borders of the Roman Empire. The Romans grudgingly allowed members of the Visigoth tribe to cross south of the, uh, the, Dan the uh, Danube and into the safety of Roman territory, but they treated them with extreme cruelty. According to the historian, According to historians, Roman officials even forced the starving Goths to trade their children into slavery in exchange for dog meat. In brutalizing the Goths, the Romans created a dangerous enemy within their own borders. When the oppression became too much to bear, the Goths rose up in revolt and eventually routed a Roman army and killed it and killed the Eastern Emperor Valens during a battle of Adrianople in AD 378. The shocked Romans negotiated a flimsy peace with the barbarians, but the truth, the truce unraveled in 410 when the Goth king Alaric moved west and sacked Rome. With the Western Empire weakened, Germanic tribes like the Vandals and the Saxons were able to surge across its border and occupy Britain, Spain, and North Africa. Understand what they're saying there. I don't know if you 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 can make out what they're saying there. I'm, I'm sure you can, but... But ultimately, the Huns, the Huns going into Europe caused a migration, called a, caused a migration of Germanic tribes into Rome. And when the Romans should have stopped them at the at the border and said, "Hey, <laughs> hey, the Huns, Huns are not. We're not letting you in here." Okay, you you could be caught in this territory right in between, and you got to fight them back. That's that's up to you as a people. You got to fight the Huns off. Instead, they let the Germanic tribes come into the, the, the Roman Empire, cross the border, and then on top of it, to make matters worse, they treated them like shit. Yeah? 
And so by the time the by, by the time you know the, the the thing got so bad inside Rome, the enemy from within is the one that end up killing you. This is a cautionary tale. Now the difference between that time in history and this moment in history is the people who are flooding across our border have such a fundamental difference of ideology. Such a fundamental difference of ideology. There could there may be not that there there may not be a level of hospitality we could show them that wouldn't present a danger in the future during an uprising, if that makes any sense. And yeah, radical Islam sleeper cells, absolutely. There may not be a hospitality good enough we could show them that would neutralize them from being a threat in the future during an uprising. Because the, the ideological difference is, is too, too great. The gap is too great. However, many of the other immigrant communities that we've brought into the country over the years, whether it be the Italians or the Jews or the Irish or the black people or whoever, you know, whoever, you, you know, Asian communities, when you fail to assimilate people with a, with, a, with a sense of national identity, when you fail to assimilate people with a higher formulation of intellectual ideas, beliefs, values, when you fail to do that during an uprising, people resort to tribalism. And when people resort to tribalism, one, one entity suffers, and that's the nation the nation state. Now, some people don't mind living in a sort of uh, snatch and grab barbarian-like, uh, you know, decentralized hellhole. I don't want to live in that. And many of you may think you want to live in that in your sort of romanticized dream journal of anarchy. <laughs> but half of you can't even run a mile in six minutes. Half of you couldn't bat past the basic fitness test to, to be deemed healthy enough to play a, a, a sport, let alone to fight to the death. Half of you, ha half of the people out there, respectfully, and if this is you and you know it's you, don't take it as an insult. Go do something about it. Go get yourself in shape because the, day, the days of the Visigoths and the Vandals may be fast approaching. So it's time to go take serious your fitness, your physical fitness. Can you survive out there? And that doesn't mean spend time getting a, a, a telephone and a, or a GoPro and, uh, and, and a handheld and going to the top of a 100-story building and doing parkour across the 100-story. I mean, give me a break. That means going and getting yourself legally registered to own a gun if you need to in the state you live in, taking your gun, become familiar with it, become familiar with how to clear it, become familiar with what to do when you jam it, become familiar with how to shoot it, become familiar with the proper protocols to safely handle it, so that you don't shoot yourself or somebody else accidentally. Start to do these things. There's nothing wrong with that. It's prudent. It's prudent. It's, it's sensible. It's logical. Learn to protect yourself. One day you may be called upon to fight for an idea bigger than you, but certainly for your family's safety at the very least. And that is something that's worthwhile. That's, that's an endeavor that's, wor that's worthwhile. That's what men we're supposed to be doing. But now everybody wants to be an art, you know, now everybody wants to be a fashion designer. 
Now everybody wants to be a, a musician, an artist. Now everybody wants to, you know, I, I don't know. They, you know, paint. I was watching the great Bob Ross the other day, and I just thought to myself, man, there's a guy who can paint. He was meant to paint. His his feel for the canvas, his feel for his understanding of colors and things, he was meant to make paintings that make people feel better about the, the despairs and the anxieties of their life, to brighten people's day. Shout out to the late Bob Ross. He was incredible. Served in the military. Love Bob Ross. If you don't like Bob Ross, something's probably wrong with you anyway, okay? All of you ain't meant to be painters. All of you ain't meant to be artists. You know, I showed the video the other day at the end of the episode. I think it was episode 124, if I'm not mistaken. And I showed the video where you had what, what could only be described as some type of either trans or satanic uh, art, art show uh, where they were dragging a guy across the floor on a, a waterbed there. It looked like on the floor, you know, a, a big puddle of water and, and water spilling and dripping with music playing in the background. And they were dragging him, you know, with a couple of sticks with his butt in the air and a candle in his butt. I mean, this is not art. This is a way for people who are overeducated, underintelligent, to, di to distract them from the, the real threat on the horizon. And this is what communism, look, this is what, this is what uh, the, the communist whistleblower Yuri warned about is that over generations, communism would, would erode the strength of America through a cultural, a, a sort of cultural subversion, psychological subversion. And we got a bunch of people who believe they're Marxists and communists, and not only do they believe they're Marxists and communists, they just so happen to, coincidentally, still enjoy the capitalism of their artistic endeavors, if they can get rich quick and sell an NFT for a million dollars, then they're all for capitalism. But in the event that we have to go to war, actually defend the country that they enjoy the benefits of, they're out, right? Let's just do art. Let's just do art because we live under the oppression of white supremacy and, and, and uh, you know, white patriarchal oligarchy or wh whatever they say. I mean, I don't know. I don't know, some esoteric bullshit explanation as to why they don't have to get serious about their life and, and you know, hunt and, and find a, you know, figure out how to use a gun and protect themselves. These are the same people that will call the police in a heartbeat. And they will call the police. They want to defund the police, but they'll call the police in a heartbeat. Let you disrupt one of their little art shows. You know, if me and 10 of my buddies found our way to that art gallery and they were sliding a grown man across the floor with his butt in the air and a candle and I came in there and kicked that damn candle from, from, from you know, out of, that, out of that man's keister and I went to go slap up a few people and say, hey, this art show is over. This is, this is public indecency. This is indecent public exposure. What do, you think, what do you think any of them would do? What do you think any of them could do? I'm, I'm being serious now. Think about it. And I'm going to get back to the fall of the Roman Empire in a moment here, but I just want you to think about it. The same people who called for the defunding of police are the same people that call the police when their own ability to defend themselves or to problem solve or to deal with crisis fails. What's the remedy? If you really want to self-govern, if you really don't want to be governed by what could potentially become a tyrannical government or by way or... or uh, as a byproduct, subsequently, 
tyrannical policing, if you really don't want to be governed, be be self-governing. You, but you got to be self-sufficient. And part of being self-sufficient is being able to defend yourself, being able to survive. That's just the reality. I mean, there's no arguing about that. That's what it is. But hey, Nancy, hey, you all want to go to your, you know, your, your Bohemian Grove, uh, uh, you know, eyes wide shut, reaffirm all the identity crisis parties there in, in San Francisco, or, you know, you, you cucks in Palo Alto want to microdose LSD and talk about how you see spirits and whatnot. I get it. Cool. Fine. And you want to follow Nancy Pelosi because she, you know, she'll, she'll double down on the crazy. And then Nancy Pelosi tells you, hey, these Republicans don't want to be governed. But it's you that don't want to be governed. You actually are the one saying that you don't like the, the, the governmental structure of, of, of what is historical white supremacy. So which one is it? I mean, the contradiction is so strange. Again, I like to go back and find the history and just tell you the fall of the Roman Empire is coming. And guess what? A lot of you aren't prepared. Yeah, a lot of you aren't prepared for what's coming. You know, me, you know, when, when, when things devolve, you know, the, the thing about society is that I don't think you cucks are really grateful for. Let me let me let me just let me just help out here. <clears throat> the thing about society that that's really. Uh, quite quite spectacular is it it's it's a sort of improvement from um darwinian darwinian society it's an improvement from darwinism because in in a dar in a darwinian society biggest fastest strongest wins most brutal most violent most cunning most most you know uh, strategic they win and they usually win through violence, and they usually win, uh, you know, with some level of uh, of viciousness. And there's usually death that comes along with it. And there's none of this glorious death thing. It's just like you know, like the Roman Empire that that got really Darwinian at the end. You're up in the throne. I think I'll make a play for the throne today. Stab you in the back. Can you deal with it or not? Can you survive it or not? Nope, can't survive it. Guess what? Not only am I going to stab you in the back, this is the kind of beta male cuck thing that the Roman Empire started to suffer from because they, they were able to get little bunches of groups of people together to try and overthrow the leader. And, you know, when you got 10 guys fighting one, eh, well, outnumbered. It wasn't a meritocracy anymore. It became a, 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 a sort of a... It became a sort of diluted version of democracy. Just like you have crony, crony capitalism, you can have crony democracy. That's what the Roman Empire became at the end. You know, let's gang up and kill this emperor, and then you're going to be in the seat until we disagree with you, and then the same group of people who helped you displace him are going to now come back and displace you. Darwinian. Point is, the society we've built, this this uh, this culture of American ideas, America's foundational beliefs, uh, was about something much much greater, something much more humble, and and much more humane than that, and not in a soft way, not in a weird sort of eclectic woke way, 
but just just a, a, a better way, a better way. Now, along the way, we got we got sort of hijacked by Darwin, and, and we started to believe, re-believe in, and we started to re, re, uh, redevelop a, a, a sort of Darwinian approach to our society. And we find ourselves right where the Roman Empire found itself today. But all of you people out there who think you want to go back to this, you know, post, post-American, post-American dominance, anarchy-type tribe, clan, uh, regional, local, little, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't even know what you call them, enclaves or whatever. Whatever the, whatever the country would look like, you know, in, in that, that type of post, um, post-government society, you're not even ready for that. You're not even ready for that. In, in, that, in, that, in that type of society, it'd be somebody like me coming door to door, taking everything you got. That's just what it is. And there's people who are more skilled than me. There's people who are more dangerous, more combat ready than I am. And when they get together in a group of 20 or 30 and they're roaming around and you don't stand a chance and you better hope that they just want your resources and that they're not really vicious and crazy and psychopathic because then they might, you know, you know, take your family hostage for three days, three, four days, torture them, you know, and then kill you because what the hell, just for the fun, just for the fun of it. That type of that type of mentality exists out there. And what the rule of law, what order, what a nation, what a government was supposed to keep at bay is, is the impulse to do that so we could all strive and work together uh, to, to some higher formulation of, of society and human civilization. Sounds a little like collectivism, but that is the fundamental thinking about how to work together as a collective, as a nation. If we have a national identity and citizenship and we're trying to work together as states or communities or cities or as, as one United States, that is what we're trying to strive towards. And hey, maybe we can go live on the moon. I don't know. Maybe we can go live on Mars. Maybe we can become an interstellar uh, species. Maybe we can become an, an, an intergalactic species. I don't know. But I know one thing. I know one thing for sure. Many of you today got a better shot of going to live on the fucking moon than you do surviving a post-government America. So slow down with all your, we don't want to be governed. Defund the police, de- you know, tear the system down. The whole system is guilty. No, let's just pick better leaders. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Let's just pick better leaders. There's plenty of things we could do to, to have a more sensible and logical country with sensible and logical government. Plenty of things we could do. Let's just do that. Let, let, let's, let's not bite off more than we can chew. Let's not let our eyes be bigger than our stomach. Y'all don't want to live in an, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an anarchy. You're not even ready for that. Half of you would have trouble doing 30 push-ups. You think you're ready for the, the, the great outdoors and surviving in the great outdoors? When, it, when, it's, when it's not leisure? Yeah, you can ride your bike up to the highest bike path and, and, you know, film yourself riding down the bike path. What about when somebody's shooting at you? How good are you going to do then? That's where we're going to in this country if, if, we don't, if we don't be careful here. 
Back to the list, fall of the Roman Empire. Number six was the arrival of the Huns. That was the last thing we talked about. Number seven, oh, I love this one. Christianity and the loss of traditional values. Oh, this is, this is sneaky, sneaky. This is the History Channel and the conventional wisdom trying to take a shot at Christianity now, which is actually an insightful point to make, but we'll get there in a moment. The decline of Rome dovetailed with the spread of Christianity. And some have argued that the rise of a new faith helped contribute to the empire's fall. The Edict of Milan legalized Christianity in 313, and it later became the state religion in 380. These decrees ended centuries of persecution, but they may have also eroded the traditional Roman value system. Christianity displaced the polytheistic Roman religion, which viewed the emperor as having a divine status and also shifted focus away from the glory of the state and onto a sole deity. Meanwhile, popes and other church leaders took an increased role in political affairs, further complicating governance. The 18th century historian Edward Gibbon was the most famous proponent of this theory, but his take has since been widely criticized. While the spread of Christianity may have played a small role, in curbing Roman civic virtue, most scholars now argue that its influence paled in comparison to military, economic, and administrative factors. So <laughs> the Romans, even, you know, the, the historians of the time and, and even, you know, in, in more recent times said, hey, these Christians are, are, are making us lose focus, right? There, there's a national goal here that Christianity is now obstructing. It's, it's getting in the way of, right? And uh, these Christians, you know, this lack of faith in the state, this lack of faith in, in the emperor, this, this inability to see the emperor as a divine figure has weakened the Roman identity, has re weakened Roman citizenship and the Roman thinking uh, about their, their role in the, in, the, in the empire. It's the Christians' fault. Doesn't sound familiar? It's the Christians' fault, no? Wow. But get far enough away from the rhetoric, people look back and go, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, no, no, no. The Christian thing, the, 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 the point, the blame it on the Christians, the blame it on the Christians was a way to distract from the real pervasive problem of military, political, and economic and administrative problems. Just like what Joe Biden and, and the Nancy Pelosi's and the Kamala Harris types are doing now. These people are Christo-fascists. Only now the Christians actually want the state. that We, we, we want a, a country with borders. Now we're wrong for that as well. Right? Back then it was the Christians are distracting us from our national duty. Now it's the Christians want to talk about nation too much. When you have people who have become corrupt and they want to weaponize, they want to hijack and weaponize their administrative, economic, or political position, of course they're going to come up with any multitude of excuses why belief in God and that one's rights come from an authority higher than the government uh, is, is wrong, is, uh, is getting in the way. Number seven, Christians. Number eight, last but not least, 
Weakening of the Roman legions. Oof, soldiers getting weak. Soldiers having problems. For most of its history, Rome's military was the envy of the ancient world. But during the decline, the makeup of the once mighty legions began to change. Unable to recruit enough soldiers from the Roman citizenry, emperors like Diocletian and Constantine began hiring foreign mercenaries to prop up their armies. Ooh, chilling, chilling. The ranks of the legions eventually swelled with Germanic Goths and other barbarians, so much so that Romans began using the Latin word barbarous in place of soldier. While these Germanic soldiers of fortune proved to be fierce warriors, they also had little or no loyalty to the empire, and their power-hungry officers often turned against their Roman employers. In fact, many of the barbarians who sacked the city of Rome and brought down the Western Empire had earned their military had earned their military stripes while serving in the Roman legions. The enemy from within. The enemy from within. Rome became such a posh, yuppie, neoliberal, neocon, omnisexual, world traveling, intellectual and academic society that they thought that they could completely export their, their national security, their military, their defense to hired mercenaries, to people with no loyalty, to the immigrants. That's all you people who say, let's make the immigrants serve in the military. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Way to go, guys. Bravo. What a, what a, true, lack of, what a true lack of historical uh, understanding. Way to go. This, this is why, you know, you, you, have to, you have to start to be serious, have to be honest about where we are in American history and what we know and what we could do. This is what leadership is about, but this is what also what citizenship is about. This is what civic duty is about. Don't just talk. I, I can't stand people just run their fucking mouth. You know, I hear all kinds of people with an opinion on this or that, not, not, not grounded in any historical understanding, not grounded in any, any real sense of how the real world works, anything. It's just, it's just talk. It's just happy talk. Sit the fuck down. Break open a book. I know, you know those things are like obsolete now, a, a, a relic of the past. Break open a fucking book. Read it on your phone even. You know, I could read this right on my phone and understand where we really are in this country's history. The country became so disinterested in its national identity and its nation as a goal, as, a, as an idea, its nation as a priority that it started to enlist mercenaries into the army. And when push came to shove, those Germanic tribes, those tribes were the enemy within. And yeah, they may take a pay cut here. They may take a pay here. They may take a paycheck here and there and there. But eventually, they would turn on their Roman employers because they had a more tribal identity with the barbarians who were sacking and, 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 and overtaking or overthrowing Rome. The Visigoths, the Vandals. 
the Saxons. Another cautionary tale about not being able to fight your own war, not being able to su supply your own soldiers. But not only that, not being able to supply your own soldiers with a sense of national identity. This is how America became strong. Yes, we were a nation of immigrants, absolutely. But the call to citizenship, the idea of American citizenship, the value of American citizenship was something worth fighting for. It superseded tribal identity. It superseded race. It superseded even religion. That's what America, that's what the project of America is really all about. That's what, what they call an experiment, which is offensive in and of itself, but, but that's what the experiment really was. Are there a set of foundational beliefs? Are there, are there fundamental truths, truths that we hold self-evident? Are there truths that we hold self-evident, so profound, so deep, that speak to the human condition and the human intuition and the human spirit? So at such a deep level that it can supersede all of the historical organization, uh, the, all, of the, all of the ways that societies had historically organized themselves. Could an idea alone, could an idea alone be the lightning rod of an incredible nation? And up until now, it has been. And we made mistakes. We made mistakes in the beginning. We made mistakes, and and we don't we don't have to talk about the Syrians coming through the border now. Oh no no no, that's not the immigrant horde that that I was referring to. Although, you know, now they're coming too. But the immigrant horde, which really weren't immigrants in the American context, but but the horde that we have neglected in this country are black people. <laughs> keeping it real. You could like it. You could disagree. You could say what you want. But I know one person who understands it very well, and that's the great Steve Bannon. And that's why he says often that the, the, the fate of the country is going to rest on the working class, black and Hispanic male. Why? Because if the working class, if people who work for a living, who see the value in being able to work, being able to work in a country that allows them to be the master of their own destiny. If people see value in that, then they will eventually, if need be, fight for that. And that's the team I'm on. I'm on that team. All you cuck motherfuckers can talk about America being this, this racist kind of whatever, whatever you want to say about America. Nobody's Nobody's absolving America of its sins It's in, in the past or now. You, nobody can do that but God. Now, we could repent as a nation, but first we would probably need to repent as individuals, and there would need to be a mass awakening of, of the importance of repentance before we could even have that conversation. But the point is, no matter what you say about the sins of the history of this country, I'm a citizen of this country. And the value of that citizenship, the value of America with all its many flaws is that you don't have to live in a, in a, in a govern, a govern, a, uh, a govern, a governmentless chaos, a governmentless jungle. 
Many of you aren't ready for it anyway. Many of you don't want any part of it. Many of you wouldn't know how to throw the first, the first straight punch in a, in a, in a fist fight. Many of you never been in a fist fight, respectfully, a real fist fight. I mean, real fist fight. I'm not talking about when you're, you know, 12 years old and chances are neither one of you have generated enough kinetic, uh, kinetic power uh, in, in your body to knock the other one unconscious. I'm not talking about that type of fist fight. I'm talking about a full-blown fist fight between two adults who could do each other seriously, serious bodily harm. A lot of you never been in one. That's the poshness that we've developed here in America. That's, that's, the, that's the sort of weakening of the legions that we've developed here in America. And you all want to export your, your defense, your, your survival, to whatever would-be character that steps up to the podium. You don't know who they are. You don't know what their beliefs are. And it's on the left and the right. Oh, the right has this strange, strange love of, of, of police and military. I told you before, and I'll tell you again, you better learn to defend yourself. You better become your own well-armed militia all around the country, and you better start right now. And some people have started already, and that's a good thing. That's a reasonable thing. It was a prescription from our founding fathers. It's right there in our founding documents. Well-armed militias. Because even they knew. Even they knew the history of the Roman Empire. Even they knew when a government gets too big and a people get too complacent, too content with the prosperity of their, of, of their you know, wealth or, or their position in, in, in society, whatever the case may be, when you get too complacent and you start to export all your security over to mercenaries, to foreign authorities, or to your own government, you put yourself at risk. You put freedom at risk. Those who trade security for freedom deserve neither, and they will have neither. Those who trade their freedom for security deserve neither, and they will have neither. You end up not having freedom or security because you're only as free as you, as you can be. You're only as free as, as the, the freedom, the, the scope of freedom of an individual is the freedom that they can create for themselves. Again, America tried to strive to give people better, bigger, more philosophically uh, sophisticated ideas to organize themselves so it wouldn't become a sort of Darwinian who's the strongest, the strongest survive type of society. Because it is a sort of animalistic, you know, primal way to interact. It is. It is a barbaric way to interact. And what Christianity did that nobody wants to give it credit for is say, hey, you know, this this different, this different way of doing it, this better way of doing it isn't based on the desire to get out of barbarism, to get out of the dangers of, of, of our primitive selves, but to choose better through submission and faith. It's not that we're not ready to fight. It's not that we're not ready to die. In fact, we stay ready to fight and die, uh, you know, just the same. But our restraint comes from our faith and submission, something that the Muslims need to need to have a, a, a you know a, a coming to Jesus moment on. 
And I say coming to Jesus because Isa is right there in the, in the Quran, in the Muslim's tradition. And the Muslims need to have a coming to Jesus moment about restraint for faith and, and submission. But their faith practice has completely different tenets in many respects. But us here in America, a Christian nation, founded on Christian values, we are not supposed to be weak. Our, our submission and faith in God is not supposed to breed or yield weakness. Humility is not weakness. Being humble is not the same as being weak. Being humble is having the strength to do great, great uh, damage, to do great harm, to do great violence and destruction and, and restrain oneself. That's humility. That's humble. Again, if, if you're weak, it's, it's not. If you're weak, then it waters down the restraint. It's no real sign of restraint if you restrain yourself from nothing. Restrain yourself from the greatest possible, the greatest, the, the maximum amount of, of chaos and destruction that you could unleash on the world around you. And when you restrain yourself from that, that's a true sign of humility and, and, and humbleness. And at the highest level, at the highest level of consideration for a country, for a nation, for its citizens is when, you know, when does, does defense end and offense begin and vice versa? We want to be humble. We want to have humility. We want to have faith and submit to God. But that doesn't mean that we let people walk all over us. That doesn't mean that we let people harm us, that we let people bully us, that we let people kill us, that we let people kill our families, that we let people put us in danger. And I'm not talking about the man walking down the street. I'm talking about your political elites. Part of that humility and humbleness is not to let our country be overrun by people who want to sell us out. And a lot of these 501c3 Christians respectfully. And when I saw that Christianity thing, I thought to myself, well, well, there were your first 501c3 Christians right there. Right there in the Roman Empire, early on. 501c3. We're not going to let the Visigoths and the Vandals and the Saxons roll across our borders out of, out of uh, what? Uh, out of the goodness of our heart? No. No, just like I'm not going to let people come and, and sleep in my home, you know, that I don't know. It's not right. It's, it's, not, it's not remotely appropriate. We don't live in that type of time. You know, back in the day when you had a traveler, you know, you, 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 you lived off of the land and, you know, you were there and you had a traveler come and knock on your door and, and they hadn't eaten in seven days and, and they were, you know, weary and tired and then the whole nine and, and people had that, that survival mentality, you know, a real, a, a, a real more genuine survival mentality. So their, their, their entire 
psychology was more rooted in in the basic way of life, living off the land. Yeah, you could you could bring a traveler in and feed him and clothe him and 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 send him on his way. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We don't live in that kind of society anymore. Now, could we get back to a society like that? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's a little bit above my pay grade. Let's work on what we can work on first. We got to secure our border. If, if for no other reason, the problem that we're, the, the, the society we live in right now, the problem that we face right now. Let's talk about final analysis when we get to a more final analysis type of position. In the final analysis, do we want to have a border that restricts all people from coming in? Probably not. In the final analysis, we're nowhere near the final analysis. This is more like the beginning. This is more like the beginning of analyzing and assessing the threat of an invasionary force, of a, of a set of policies and legislation, of a political ruling class and their governance that could completely undermine, topple, and collapse our nation as we know it. Let's deal with that right now. There'll be a time in the future when we get things under control to reevaluate. Nothing is static. Nothing is supposed to be static. But our intellectual and posh ideas about society and the world and humanity and the future have actually, that's what's become static for many people. This delusional, this, this, De, uh, you know, grandeur, this delusional grandeur about egalitarianism and, and, you know, all of these other bullshit stories. Like, let's just let, let's just let 10 million people come in the country. We got enough room. There's enough room in the country for another 25 million people. Sure. Not to govern. Is there enough room for them in the land? Absolutely. The same way there was enough room in the Roman Empire for an incursion from the, from the, from the Germanic tribes. Of course, there's enough space. Is there enough room to govern? And is there an importance of governance? Absolutely, there is. Absolutely. But that governance should be constrained. That federal governance should not be too big and grandiose itself in order to keep the in order to keep the government from being overly expansive and overspending, you got to keep the population in a reasonable, at a reasonable size. And I'm not advocating for population control. That would be inappropriate. That would be improper. But what I am saying is let's not just let 30 to 40 million people come through our border over the next eight years. Come on, guys, give me a break. It's not reasonable. It's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and we don't need an all-or-nothing approach to it. Let's just be reasonable. Let's be adults. Remember everybody said, oh, the adults are back in the room. What about this Biden administration looks adult-like? What about it looks mature? What about it looks logical? What about it looks competent? Nothing. There's not a single thing that they've done that screams competence or, or maturity, wisdom, insight, none of it. The federal government is already too big. 
We've already let our federal government here at home through political corruption get out of control. And now we're going to add more people so that you, the American citizen, the little guy, is even more bastardized in your citizenship, is shrunk down to the, the, the least common denominator? Inappropriate. The fall of the Roman Empire. Eight ways the Roman Empire fell. I'm going to read them again for you to end here, and I'll see you guys on Wednesday. Eight ways the Roman Empire fell. Number one, invasions by barbarian tribes. Number two, economic troubles and an over-reliance on slave labor. Number three, the rise of the Eastern Empire. A divide, a split between East and Western Rome. Often squabbled over resources and military aid. Couldn't come together to fight off the threats from the outside. Number four, overexpansion and military overspending. Number five, government corruption and political instability. Everybody wanted to be emperor. And they stabbed each other in the back until eventually the barbarians had more unity than they did. Number six, the arrival of the Huns and the migration of the barbarian tribes. A force, a foreign force out there somewhere started to invade another part of Europe. And it pushed the migrants into the Roman Empire. And the Romans decided to let them in instead of securing their border which they would have had trouble doing anyway. Part of the reason why they let the barbarians in is because their military expansion had become so far and wide, they couldn't possibly not let them in. When they're banging on the fence and, they're, and they outnumber you 100 to 1, you got to cut a deal. Cautionary tale. Number seven, Christianity and the loss of traditional values, which was later debunked that was sort of an excuse so that people didn't have to acknowledge how the military, economic, and political corruption, the administrative co co corruption, had really led to the fall of the Roman Empire. But they, hey, they blamed it on the Christians. Early on, they blamed it on the Christians. And number eight, the weakening of the Roman legions. And we got transsexuals doing transition videos uh, on TikTok from the United States military. I'm going, to make a, I'm going to make a declaration right here. There should be no knowledge, publicly knowledgeable transsexuals in the United States military. It's not transphobic. It's not homophobic. The, the fundamental, fundamental truth is that soldiers are meant to defend the nation's borders, are meant to defend the nation's freedoms and its citizens' freedoms. When we talk about, look, uh, we're, we're not going to include transsexuals in the NBA unless they can do the actual job. Chances are they can't. And even if they could, some people aren't going to want to do it. Maybe it's a distraction. Maybe they consider it a distraction within the locker room. Hey, I don't know. They said me driving to the games from Chicago to Minneapolis would hurt team camaraderie. Wake up tomorrow, and if there was a transsexual, if there was a cross-dressing guy who wanted to play in the NBA, they'd probably cover for him and say that this is a part of progressive uh, inclusionary diversity, equity, and inclusion. Adam Silver would would probably pre-ejaculate in his pants if if a guy came out as a cross-dresser and said that he was transitioning to a woman and still wanted to play in the NBA. Everybody talks about a man going to play in the WNBA. Wait till a few guys find it commercially, politically, socially advantageous, economically advantageous 
to dress up like a woman and play in the NBA. Then we'll see where the NBA really stands. The point being, who gives a fuck about the NBA? Who gives a fuck about these woke corporations and what they want to bend to? When it comes to the United States military, the defense of our nation, the defense of our citizenship, we should not be bending to diversity, equity, and inclusion politics. The best soldiers, the most capable soldiers, the soldiers that least distract us from the goal, from the mission, are the soldiers that we need. So when I see TikTok videos of Marines and, and, and Army men and other people in the military, in the United States military, dressing up like drag queens in their, in their uniforms, we got a serious fucking problem in this country. A problem much bigger than me using profanity. And we come to that point every fucking episode when I arrive at something that's so detestable. And yet people will still say, oh, it's a potty mouth. I can't listen. Get your, get your fucking head out of your ass. We got service men and women doing trans videos on TikTok with their uniforms on making a mockery of this country and of the military. Everything's fun and games. Everything's fun and games. Everybody's an, ex everything's an experiment. Everything's an experiment until that mentality is the reason why your family and your street and your city and your community is no longer safe when you're overrun by the barbarians. And the barbarians are descending from all over. Because the one thing about this nation is that it's a nation whose identity is rooted in ideas and beliefs and values. There is no master race in the United States of America. That's a scam. It's a lie. It's a Darwinian lie. It was a way to subvert America's... The whole point is that the organizing principle in America was higher than Darwin's racial, uh, race, racial theories. That to organize people in freedoms and a sense of national identity and citizenship and Christian faith is a much better organizing principle than race and looks or, you know, whatever. Much better organizing principle. But somewhere along the way here, we've lost that organizing principle. The organizing principle of national honor and sacred honor. You guys hear me say it all the time. We have to restore our national honor and sacred honor. And I think people, people may see it as a, a, you know, some type of catchphrase. <laughs> it's not a fucking catchphrase. It's an essential phrase. We have to restore our national honor and our sacred honor. These are the organizing principles that separate us from the Darwinists. These are the only organizing principles that separate us from the Nazis or the British intellectuals of which Darwinism and social Darwinism came from. These are the organizing principles that separate us from the CCP or the ethno-national Russians or whoever else out there. But you see, the Russians, the Russians made a concession. You see how the Russians go? And they've, they've, you see how, you know, you, one thing that's really, really funny here. Our mortal national enemy, 
our mortal national enemy is far more, far more ethno-national than we are. One of our mortal national enemies, by way of the crown, adopted their beef with Russia. One of our mortal national enemies is far more ethno-national than we are, yet they have found some type of peace accord with the Muslims. They're in Dagestan and in Chechnya, you know, so on and so forth. There's something going on there in that part of the world with a Russian government that is Eastern Orthodox Christian, at least per their own rhetoric, that is more Eastern Orthodox Christian than they are communist now, per the rhetoric. Don't know if you can trust it. Maybe they're just sleeper cell communists still. I don't know. Something to think about. Never trust the, no, no, I'm not saying that we have to be best buds with the Russians. All I'm saying is that Russia, 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 Russia gate from the Democrats and the liberals is, is the, the product of a Zygmunt Ubrzynski post-World War II democratic liberal order. It was always anti-Russian. That's just the reality. Okay. I'm not saying we got to be best buds with the Russians, but I also don't like that we just got pulled into a forever war with Russia. No more forever wars. That's the, that's the number one America first policy prescription right now. No more forever wars. End of, end of, bottom line, end of discussion. No more forever wars. But the Russians have found some type of working relationship with their surrounding Muslim neighbors, uh, allies. How? How did that happen? How did a country that's more ethno-national, how does a country that has a, a, much, a much older culture and national identity than ours find peace or find some type of working relationship with, their, uh, with, with, with uh, people that, that don't believe in the same things they do? Just food for thought. I'm not saying that we need to make a concession to the Arab world or, or anything like that. I'm just saying what the reality is. This is the war we have to fight. And so, hey, let's say we don't want to go and broker a peace or come to some type of terms with people who don't believe in the same things we do. Fine. I mean, if, you, we, if we want to do it that way, I'm good with it. No problemo. We better stop letting transsexuals sign up for the fucking Marines. I'll tell you that. If we're not going to go out and broker deals, with other nations and other cultures and other groups of people, you better stop letting fucking Finocchios dress up in your nation's army uniforms and post fucking videos on TikTok of them being drag queen. You better not let that happen. Right. So we, we can't have it both ways. I know you neocons and neoliberals like to have a little bit of both. You know, you like to swing both ways a little bit. That ain't going to work here. You're getting outplayed. And, and all of us with half a fucking brain can see it. Respectfully. I'm sorry for my profanity, but now I'm a little, you know, when I start to think about it more, I get a little bit upset. I get a little bit upset. We should have never let Africa go. We should have never let Africa go. Africa and America had the chance to be a unified front there is a widespread belief in Christianity. There is a widespread desire 
for modernity there in Africa that we could have brokered. But instead, we let Finocchios like Bill Gates go over there and vaccinate those people and steal their national, re- national, their, their natural and national resources as some bullshit quid pro quo for humanitarian scams through nonprofits and NGOs. That's what we did in Africa. And they all knew it. Those Africans, those African tribes, those African warlords, those African nations, they knew they were getting the short end of the stick. And they sat back and they played, they played coy until the time came to rise up against America and they jumped right on board in the anti-American sentiment. We better go back there and start to use some of that phony money to broker some deals with some allies there because Africa should have been the first frontier against the Eurasian landmass. The Africans have an older beef with the Arabs than we do. The Africans have an older beef with the Arabs than we do. And they're not the same. And anybody who thinks that black and brown people are all the same, you don't deserve to be, you don't have the historical foundations to talk about these types of anthrop, uh, uh, anthropologic issues. Oh, do they all come from one tribe? Blah, blah, blah. Shut the fuck up. There is nothing. There is nothing the same about African and Arab people other than they're remotely close to one another geographically. Nothing the same. You want a good example? Look at Gaddafi. Gaddafi started talking against the West, and what did the Arab Union do? Kicked him out. Which union took him? The African Union. When, when Gaddafi died, when they went and killed him, when they went and assassinated him, when they went and toppled the Libyan government, which still hasn't recovered to this very day and could, in fact, be a source of problems for us in the next forever war we want to engage in in the Middle East. When Gaddafi died, he was the leader of the African Union. He was the leader of the African Union, and he wanted to bring an African one currency for the entire continent of Africa. And we killed him instead of helped him facilitate that. He wanted to create a United States of Africa. The United States of Africa and the United States of America could have been a beautiful bond right there, rooted in Christianity. But, hey, for some reason, our differences got in the way. You tell me what those differences are. You go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead in the comments. I know all you neocon conservatives are going to have a huge spat about this part. Go ahead. Go ahead. You go and tell me how the Chinese and the Russians are now going into to Africa and recolonizing Africa today. Go ahead. Feel free. Feel free, smartass out there. Go ahead. Tell me. Tell me how that was strategic. It wasn't strategic. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. We let bullshit get in the way of really serving our national interests in a global conquest. Because I'm not even, there wasn't even a way to do globalism that was much better than the way we did it. There was a way to do globalism with military supremacy and fiat currency that could have been much, much more efficient than the way we did it. The way we did it looks like we did it on purpose. Like Kissinger and Nixon, who were two conservatives, like Kissinger and Nixon, 
put us on this path, uh, you know, uh, out there in these global markets, in these international relationships that were destined to fail and fail in grand fashion. That's what it looks like. Looking back at it now, that's exactly what it looks like. You tell me. You tell me that Nixon and Kissinger didn't know going into China was going to put China on the path to being the world's manufacturing superpower. An army, 1.6 billion people now. I mean, you tell me that they didn't know. You tell me. So now we got to come back home. Now we got to bring our boys home. The whole globalism project is dead, dead in the water. No, no, no life left in it. No life left in it at all. There's, there's nothing that can be done out there, really. I said we should try and find some. There's nothing to be done out there, realistically. You know, you put your feelers out. You see who will bite. Maybe there's something that can be done. Realistically, nothing that can be done. What we should do, what we should do is make sure that Mexico and Canada got their shit in order right now before we get overrun and they flip on us. What we should do is make sure that Canada and Mexico are in order before we get overrun and they flip on us. China and Mexico, China and Canada. It may be that the United States of America is the last resistance of freedom and democracy and, and, and you know, Western values. That may be, that may come in the very near future. And if there's something we're going to preserve, we may be in an all-out war. We may, we may face an all-out assault from every other nation in the world. It may be the USA versus everybody. It's possible. It's po You'll be surprised how, how quick people will jump on the bandwagon of the winning side. You'll be surprised. It's okay. That's okay. We're a strong enough country. We better stop letting transsexuals in the fucking military. This has been another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio and powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I'm your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast. Minneapolis, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us again. We appreciate your viewership and your listenership today and in the future. Visit freepeopleradio.com to find out where you can watch and listen to the podcast, where you can follow the podcast on social media. You can follow me on social media. You can follow Professor Penn on social media. Thank you to the War Room Posse, the entire War Room audience, Maureen Bannon, Grace Chong, and the great Steve Bannon for streaming the podcast live on War Room's Rumble page and Getter page. We want to thank Alex Jones for hosting the content on Band.Video and the InfoWars platform. We also want to send a special shout-out to the great Jason Whitlock and hope that he is coming along on his journey to seeing the truth. Um, my thoughts and prayers are with everybody there in the Middle East who are affected by this current conflict, everybody there. In Russia, in, in Russia and Ukraine who are affected by that conflict, everybody who is being affected by our southern border crisis, the flooding of, of immigrants and, and drugs and, and all the other things that come with the political corruption that we see in our own country. My thoughts and prayers are with you, the working man, the working citizen, 
the working citizen who just wants to make a living and have a country and be a citizen and, and, and be able to provide for their family at a rate that's reasonable, that's fair, that isn't inflated by your political elites. My thoughts and prayers are with you. I hope you see the truth. I hope you understand Donald J. Trump isn't the perfect candidate, but he's the best candidate we got right now. And not only is he up in the polls, if he wins, it's still going to be on you, the citizen, to demand a sort of leadership that could cultivate a better United States of America and help us rebuild in the right direction. That's still going to be something that you contribute to in your respective neighborhood, in your respective city, in your respective community, in your respective state, wherever you are in the United States of America, this is a call for a, this is a call for the strength of our nation to grow from the grassroots of individual citizenship and self-governance. Aspire to self-govern. And require that your federal government, that your political elites, that your political leaders are a reflection of your willingness to self-govern. The fight continues. Don't die a jerk off. And as always, Godspeed.